the microclimate we have in this city it's basically like copenhagen like we like we just have this microclimate that anything can be produced here anything can be done here this small little area from here to duncan from here to comox from here to Tofino, like killer wine wine's only getting better the farms and the cheese and all the products that are being grown and produced here are just insanely great I'm Franz. I'm Remy. I'm AJ. And you're listening to In the Weeds Podcast Season 2. We love hearing good stories, and lucky for us, few people have better stories than those in food and beverage. From our very own backyard to across the country, we are excited to share stories from the people we meet. The official beer of choice for In the Weeds is made by our good friends at Riot Brewing Company. Life's a riot. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming a Patreon of our show. For the price of a secondhand t-shirt... Each month, you can help support the show so we can continue to share great stories with our fans. Learn more at www.patreon.com forward slash in the weeds podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email podcastitw at gmail.com or on Instagram at in underscore the underscore weeds underscore podcast. Without further delay, let's get into the show. My name is Brian Teslin. I don't have a shirt on. I work for the Courtney Room, and you're in the weeds with Franz and Remy. Brian, um, I wanted to say congratulations, man. Um, oh, I, I heard that you just got a, a nice promotion. That's obviously super well-deserved. Can you introduce yourself, first and foremost, to our people? Uh, my name is Brian Teslin. I am the now executive chef, it's really weird to say, of the <laughs> Courtney Room here in Victoria. Things you need to know about me is I don't really consider myself to put labels on this. Um, it was more of a uh, sort of like a contractual thing mm-hmm. and just sort of just to clear the waters and everything. And for the whole the hotel and the restaurant, everything is easier to give me the title. But I'm I am the chef of the Courtney room, basically. Yeah, there's there's you know, there's got to be plenty of uh, red tape. Yeah. And for those of you that didn't know, there was two of us basically were this role for two years plus. Uh, My partner, Chris, uh, has moved on to a wonderful job. Uh, Slightly jealous. Uh, He is now the head chef of the Drake. I knew it. See, I was going to ask you about that. I didn't know if that was something public yet, but I did hear that a few days ago. And uh, that yeah. that's exciting. I mean, that obviously also means that although the, the Drake always had tasty food, they're doubling down on their, their food game, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, I think they wanted a bit more focus to the program. And it was nice that, you know, Chris could Chris worked out a good idea of letting him sort of do what he wanted to sort of grow that program. And especially with now Herald Street being open, he now gets to sort of diet. He's going to have two outlets to really dive into, which is great for him. Yeah. And it's a great little change up because he's also been here for over three years. And yeah, sometimes you just need a break. And, you know, it's uh, again, we're all super stoked for him and super happy for him. So Awesome. And for Mike and Lee, too. Yeah, that's uh, they're on my radar. We definitely want to we want to talk to them as well, too. A couple people have uh, have mentioned mm-hmm. to us that they'd be great folks to talk to. And uh, I'd love to hear all about that story. Um, Harold street that's them collabing with steel and oak 
That's what yeah. I thought. Okay. Jordan Jordan Foss and Jordan Foss, right. I don't know I don't know Jamie's last name. Jamie's the other owner of Steel and Oak. Right. I'm sure he's probably got one or two investors, but Yeah, of course. Jordan always speak. Jo- have you ever listened to Jordan's podcast? No. Beer Life? No. Oh, dude. You need to li- Beer Life. It's one of the greatest, like, besides yours besides this podcast. <laughs> of one course, of the greatest thanks. Beer industry, like local beer industry ones to listen to because he interviews everyone from the industry. Oh, I love he's, it. He's, he's done everyone from like House of Funk to uh, Fieldhouse to oh, um, cool. Julia from uh, Steamworks. And they, everyone's perspective is so different and it's really cool. Awesome. And it, it's fun to relate to and, t- and hear them talk about that side of the industry and whatnot. And yeah, he's done. The Ben Coley ones are really great too. Ben Coley, the uh, head brewer of or uh, owner of uh, Dagerad, is amazing to listen to. Him and um, Adam Henderson are not to not to knock on any of them. I've listened to all of them like two or three times over. They're just they're fun podcasts. So. Oh, especially if you like beer, the beer industry. You you already jumped the gun. That was one of my questions. I know that you're a beer nerd, so I wanted to see if you either had a favorite beers or also more to the point uh, podcast that you listen to. So that's perfect. Um, mm-hmm. But before we get too much into that, because I definitely want to hear, and I know Remy and I are both uh, beer nerds as well too, so I want to talk mm-hmm. beer with you. But I I would like to know um, how how did you get started? Like, where did your your passion for for cooking come from? My grandparents, so both my grandmothers are 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 great cooks, and growing up <coughs> in an Italian household with some Polish vibes. Um, we got to, we always had good food. We always ate. We always ate around a large table with a lot of ye- a lot of yelling and screaming and talking and conversing and politics. Nice. But there's always just massive. There's just always massive platters of food uh, littered throughout both of my both of my grandparents' houses. So growing up in food was you know real appreciation there. Um, I didn't have any chefs in the family. I had a, a uncle who was a restaurant tour in Ontario for 20 years and owned several different uh franchises that he started in restaurants um that he toggled off with a partner who uh the guy who owned kelsey's oh no um, shit he worked oh, well. with him the the guy's brother and him uh and my uncle opened a, another set of called pete and marty's uh that was through the 80s they had places they had montreal they had tons in toronto they had all over ontario oh crazy and yeah, and then they opened a couple of smaller restaurants, and he still sees the residuals. He's friends with like Mark Kewen, and he's he was in that time era of all those like high end restaurants coming up, and then so he was kind of like he was the one responsible for my very first job in the industry. So like I was like a I was in school, I was doing music, which I wasn't really I was loving, but there was no career for music for me really. Totally. Um, and then I was like sitting in university and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I'm not going to go anywhere with this. and I don't want to finish. <laughs> and my uncle's like, well, you have one option. You can go and see this. Like, you, you work in the, I was cooking. I was cooking at like a, like a roadhouse, basically. And I worked in pubs for like 10 years already from like in the middle of high school to like even in the middle of uh, university. And, my, and I was going to university in Waterloo, Ontario. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with Waterloo, Ontario. It's like the only other place in the world that you can go to Oktoberfest. <laughs> <laughs> and also it has a, it has a, a tri-city area of Waterloo, Cambridge and Kitchener. And Cambridge has this beautiful country house. That's a in Chateau called Langdon hall. Um, and is one of the right. top hotels. Yeah. So my uncle's like, I know this, this chef sure. there, 
you can go and he's going to he's going to interview. Um, he's going to give you a job, basically. Just do whatever he says. and Don't fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect so I advice. went and they gave me a ten dollar an hour job and they put me on. Like I kn- I knew nothing. I didn't know what a shallot was. There like I was just like I was opening bags. I was like taught how to cook a steak on a grill and then like to, to do multiple orders like that, cooking chicken wings for like dollar like dollar wing nights and stuff like yeah, that yeah and i was in that culture for you know was drinking and you know banging servers and yeah you know like all that sort of crap that was that was involved in that sort of side of the industry and he's like well if you really want to do this this is where they're gonna give it to you and they basically sat me down and then i think halfway through the shift i they gave me an entire case of like tarts to clean six hours in i'm like so what do you guys want me to, like how long you want me here for I'm like until well, the job's done <laughs> 12 hours later, like you can go home now. Yeah. Yeah. But it was like, do the job, scrub everything down, start the next job, clean this, don't stand on things, you know, work into a, like the Langdon Hall basically gave me the structure of how I handle myself in the kitchen to today. Like have a clean, have a clean bin that you're cleaning into, have a bin for the stuff you haven't cleaned yet, have a bin for your garbage. Love it. And then go on that. So, and then don't, don't stand on the, on the table you're working at because then you have to you know then when you've done your job clean everything down scrub the table down go on to your next job yeah. keep your cutting board clean and neat and tidy keep your, everything folded and it was very hard i was very young and i was like i was i was greasy and and like i was still working another job and like working hell long hours and uh i got hooked up with a couple different chefs that were there and they were just like they kind of gave me more things to look forward to and then i kind of went on from there did you ever so have a, that's where sorry to interrupt, but did you ever during that time? Cause I mean, so far, almost everything that you've said, I, I can identify with so, so acutely. Like I, I was an artist in high school, couldn't see how to make a living off of that at that time. Uh, got into cooking kind of the same way, worked at pubs and other greasy spoon type things, same kind of party lifestyle. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm asking because it happened to me. Did when you were at Langdon hall, did you have, when you were getting your your quote unquote education, and and really it was molding you. Did you ever have any of those tears in the walk in moments where you were like, I don't know if I can handle this? Yeah, like I remember at least for myself, I had a couple of moments oh, yeah. that almost broke me. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> I had I had when I first started, the chefs had changed over and they'd put me on breakfast and I couldn't make hollandaise. Like I couldn't do anything. Right. And I was a shit and I was a shithead. Like I was a serious shithead. I thought I was cooler than I was. I thought I could do this. And I didn't know I didn't know my ass from my elbow. And they my chef would like and then I got to a point where like I thought I was doing okay. And my chef brought me into the walk and goes, That's fucked, that's fucked, that's fucked, that's (laughs) fucked. And at that point, your mind, your mind's you're so tired and you're so turned up. And I just like I was breaking down in front of them, let alone like crying by myself. Like like, yes, I've had those moments and I've been blessed to be given those moments over and over again to kind of bring me back down and and it's it's a stressful industry and i've worked with people who i've worked with wonderful people from like germany and and england and switzerland and i asked them the same questions and i worked with these two lovely ladies from switzerland and germany and we asked them one day did you ever like because like they worked like two three michelin star and they're and i'm like did you ever do that she's like i got yelled at a lot um, and I would just hold it in, hold it in. And then I'd leave and go home and walk, on the way home, I would start crying. Yeah. Like, Fully. like to learn, like the thick skin is very tough mm-hmm. and to, to take those deep breaths. And 
what I think a lot of chefs know that this is not just a fuck off job. Yeah. We can, I'm swearing. I'm, I, oh, I swear a lot. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, yeah, this is yeah. an industry podcast. I mean, it would be ridiculous yeah. if we had to censor ourselves. Yeah. So this is not like, even if you're working in a pub, mm-hmm. this is not a fuck off job, which everyone thinks that we are doing. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. are feeding someone who is paying you money to, to nourish them. Yeah. This is what someone told me right when I was there. You're pay- someone is paying you no matter what they're paying you to nourish them and you have chosen this job to cook for them mm-hmm. so you need to provide the most excellence of service no matter which way you don't like about it and we always are upset about it and i think working for hawksworth there was always a yes there was never a no right they don't want that you figure out how to make them that right now yeah and i worked with david zilber and a Brian Satterford from Juke Chicken, and I was, but I worked for David Zilber. Um, I don't know if you know David Zilber. He wrote, he just did that fermentation book with Noma. Right, right. I know the book, and yeah. that's why so, I was trying to remember why the name sounded familiar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so he is one of the most talented chefs I've ever worked for. Wow. And coming up with into that, we worked in the banquets. Basically, we were doing all the private events and all the private dining for Hawksworth, and we did it in a little room. And there was never a no. Like a guest would come to us and we'd write a menu uh, to have like to sell to rooms and to sell, to sell to groups. And then we'd have like other menus to sell for canapes. And they'd be like, well, I don't want that. I want something completely different. I yeah. want my own thing. Yeah. And, you know, that's the first yeah. thing you look at, like as a, as a young chef or someone coming up, like, oh, fuck. Like, I just did all this work. And, yeah. like, you know, like my food. And they're like, no, I want to have I want. And we always <laughs> made the jokes like I want you to shit into puff pastry and bake it off and serve it to my guests because that's what i want that's <laughs> so we always said that it's just like you have to have whatever and then it took me a while to get that and even when i got to take over that like christian eli and hawk they would they were like mad at me like you dude you don't you figure out how to fucking do it mm-hmm. you're a professional chef you should know how to cook for these people and if you can't cook for them then you don't belong to be here mm-hmm. and they're totally right Totally. And it, whether and it resonates through everything, and it was a real kick in the teeth for me. And like, it was one of those things like, we'll pay you, you be here, but you know the job you need to do, and therefore yeah. you do that job. So, and I was very well, blessed there to work with so many people who would pick you up off the floor if you were fucked. So that was great about it. Well, and and right. in that environment, the one thing also I identify with is that sure you, you you shed a tear whenever chef is yelling at you, but personally, my biggest thing was I I I couldn't have been more disappointed and angry if I knew that I let down the, the other people on the team, like the dudes who I went for a beer with afterwards. And if you had, didn't have mm-hmm. your head on a swivel, mm-hmm. I remember being so fucking mad at myself some nights when I just couldn't pull it together or I'd had one too many beers the night before and I didn't come to work with the A game on, like all of that shit. Uh, that, that, was, that was the most humbling and, and good thing for me, I think, at that time as well too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in our youth, because I know I don't know like where you guys are, but I'm like I'm pushing almost forty. In our youth, it was like almost a game of chicken to see like how drunk you could get the night before and totally do it. And and the the team I worked with at Hawksworth, like those guys were like like dynamos, like rock stars. Like yeah, they could they could go and party all night. Yeah, and they could come in the next day and they could do it all over again. Yep, and they'd be like, get out of my way get out of my way. I'll do it. And then they'd be like, they tell you like they wouldn't, they maybe not talk to you for the first month or two. You would work there until you prove to your, to them that like, 
he's going to be here to do this with us. <laughs> yeah. It's not about if he can drink. You don't have to go and drink with them. You don't have to go party with them. But if you're going to go in there and put in the same amount of effort that they're going to put in when they're in their worst, yeah, then they want to see that. If you care, and yeah. that's what we want. If you care about this, and you don't have to read all the books. You don't have to um, talk all the, the swag about all the chefs. Game. You don't have to have the boys club. But if you come in and you understand what they need to do and what the chef wants from you, then that's what people respect. Mm-hmm. You see us like hanging on every word, writing things down. That is very important for any chef to come into. It's like write things down, listen to what the chef says and understand why you're doing something and un- and then think for yourself. Yeah. Don't don't think because some other chef did this. Like, don't ask questions about, well, I heard that we could do it this way. Like, don't fucking say that. Yeah. Listen to what they're saying and telling you to do. You're getting paid to listen to them. Oh, I, I couldn't have said it better. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So uh, in your time at Hawksworth, you obviously probably learned a huge amount from them as well, too. What what got you out of Vancouver? What got you out of that scene? Um, uh, my wife, I am now wife. So we were, me and Courtney were together before we moved to uh, Vancouver and we worked in and out of Vancouver together. And she wanted to come to the island to uh, learn how to do bread from Holy Pete. Right. So she, that's where she met Rochelle. Right. And that's right. how we know Rochelle and Aaron very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So Court did two years. We decided to do that. And we had plans to sort of move on from Victoria. But, you know, with now with COVID, it's kind of kept us here. Right. But it's sort of just, you know, gotten us to know the rest of the crew and uh, the town, I guess, the crew. It, it, it's it feels a small like town. a really tight knit. It's a it, small. Yeah. I was, actually, I had an interview with, because uh, I'm going to be in this like Edible Canada book or whatever that's happening by. Uh, coming in at the end of the year. Oh, brilliant. And they were interviewing me about That's what's, awesome. what's uh, there's a whole bunch of chefs from the island that are going to be involved in it. And they're asking me about, like, what do you think, like, why you like Victoria so much? And I was like, Victoria is a city within a small town. And I think everyone probably has said this a hundred times, mm. but the microclimate we have in this city, it's basically like Copenhagen. Like we, ha- like <laughs> Vancouver kind of has it. And it, it, and this is nothing knocking Vancouver because like the chefs and the products that come out of there, like, are far none way better than here, but like yeah. not to knock on anybody, but like, but we have this like, and uh, Brent uh, from Avril Creek, mm-hmm. he he said it the most. It's like we just have this microclimate that anything can be produced here, anything can be done here. Yeah. This small little area from here to Duncan, from here to Comox, from here to Tofino, like killer wine. Wine's only getting better. Mm-hmm. The farms and the cheese and all the products that are being grown and produced here are just insanely great, amazing. Yeah. Like you look at Uminami Farms, you look at Square Root Farms, you look at Little Staker Farms, you look at Mason Street and Madrona and the shit they're putting out. Mm-hmm. Like it's insane. Everyone's like, "Oh, I can't. I'm not gonna pay fucking like thirteen dollars for a pound of greens." I'm like, "Do you see the greens you're eating? Yeah, like, it's unlike anything it's not else. The mescaline mix, man. No. It's not California crap. Yeah, it's not the stuff you have to pick through to make sure that you're not serving somebody a wilted, rotten piece of shit." <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember like my first couple of weeks at Olo and Uminami dropped. I think it was my first night at Olo mm. and Chef Max was on the pass, and Uminami had just dropped off the turnips. He's mm. like, "Try this turnip," and I ate it. And the turnip was juicy. It, it was sweet and juicy. It wasn't like that bitey. Like it was insane. Yeah. It was just. And then he's like, "But you can use every part of these vegetables yeah. from, from the tops to everything." Like that's where I really started getting more. Like Hawksworth gave me all this like technique and how to deal with certain problems and troubleshooting. 
And then you go to Olo and it's just like, well, you can take this and you can make that. You can take this and you can make that. And we're doing this and this and this because we just have all these products and we have all this, not time, but like the ability and knowledge to sort of do it, but then just put it right back into the food without even thinking. And, so, and you're so right. Yeah. Sorry, I, I just, I'm thinking no, about no, that's, like that's the best way to put it, honestly, is that there's so much to offer on Vancouver Island. We're exploding in all these areas, the wine, the beer culture, the farms, like you said, it should look like a destination for people now at this point. You know, mm-hmm. people, especially in, in our in our field, people who want to come put up roots and start making a, an actual honest living here and stuff like that. And I think one so of the can't th- buy a house. Yeah, that's the only problem. Right. I mean, that's the thing you, <laughs> you can't you can't afford to live here. That's the thing that holds people back. But if only we had a handle on that, yeah. there's no reason why people would want to move away from here. You know, like it's it's well, you think about it. You look at it Vancouver. So the entire like serving service industry in Vancouver sky trains in. Completely. No one like no one barely yeah, lives yeah. downtown Vancouver. No, some of the servers might. Some, <laughs> like some like if you live with your like me and my wife, we live downtown Vancouver. But like there's two of us paying rent. Yeah. So if there's two of you paying rent, it's doable. Yeah. But predominantly like that that casino opened in Vancouver and everyone was coming from like the outskirts. Yeah. All trained in and because it's possible. But you can't do that in Victoria. And Victoria relies more on. Um, tourism mm-hmm. support it. We're seeing it now. How screwed we are! We're, like we're lucky here that people are taking advantage of the to go and taking advantage of our little patios that we have. But like we're heavily, heavily like reliant on tourists coming in. Yeah, and it's so it's it's, it's like everyone's saying the shittiest part about like the ban was is like you recommended people not to travel, but you told told all of us that we couldn't have anyone in our restaurants. Yeah, fully. And it's like. Thanks. So everyone can just walk around and give us COVID, but we can't serve them food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? We're not we're not trying to throw the lovely government under the bus here, because um, Bonnie Henry is working really hard. But it's just it's frustrating. It's of course, and it is. I've yeah. done I've done a year and a half now, or a year and a bit of just like waiting and relying yeah. on them to help us like figure this out. And then just to kind of like go back in time on it again, it's just kind of shitty. So. Oh, completely. No, no, no. You're, you're not wrong. And I think I think on average, everybody wants to be nice and everybody wants to censor themselves and everybody wants to be compliant. But you're, you're not wrong. Everybody I've talked to in the past couple of weeks is just like everybody's exhausted, you know, and, and, and I know that every person I've talked to in the past year of doing this show has been ultra compliant their business is doing everything possible that they can do to make it work and be healthy and safe um and then it it, it mm-hmm. just kind of happens again and again so the, the frustration is real and it doesn't mean that it, it, you're a bad person for saying it out loud i wish more people would actually a little bit well it's funny because then you have some you have like our our, our fearless leader tell us all that our age group is the ones fucking it up for everybody I'm right like, you're wrong <laughs> My wife has made more masks and stayed in and followed every guideline possible. And I have watched everyone older than me because I am f- almost 40. Yeah. I have watched all these old older people stay in my hotel from Quebec, stay in my hotel from Ontario, mm-hmm. go to Tofino, come back and stay here. Like I have watched every demographic screw this up. Absolutely. So you can't blame anybody for it. Absolutely. No. Well, that's, well that's even a hard thing. I, I, I would have to admit that I feel for Dr. H as well for that too, um, because people want an answer. They want to crucify somebody. They want to have somebody out there that they can point the finger at. So, I mean, 
it's it's a hard one to call because I agree with you. I completely I see the same things you do as well too in town and the the people who are having a harder time adhering to being safe and wearing masks properly aren't it's everybody. It, it is like, everybody. There's no there's no one to, there's no one person to blame yeah. for all this. No. We all knew what the issue is. We all have everyone has their opinions on it and whether or not you choose to live your life a certain way or not like you're like if you're just if you're denying the whole fact that's happening, then you're just to blame as everyone else's. Because whether it's gonna, whether like there's a compliancy that everyone's expecting, yeah. and we're seeing numbers go up, so it doesn't really matter what anyone thinks anymore. Yeah. It's still we're at, it's out of our control. Yeah. yeah. When we interviewed Dan Bain a couple of weeks ago, it, I mean, he said it honestly the the best, and uh, it, you're you're not. I don't understand the people who are not wanting to be compliant because you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for the people next to you. You're doing it for your your elderly relative. Just just be smart. Just be thoughtful of other people for one fucking second. It's, it's almost as if people can't come to terms with what's going on and they don't like the feeling that they need to stay home. So they're almost relying on the how this whole thing is making them feel as opposed to the stats right like the science what you're what you're saying brian like anyways it's it's so 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 frustrating i mean i was a little surprised by it because it seemed like didn't really hear that there were outbreaks at restaurants i mean are you guys seeing something different out there because it seemed like they're like oh we need to we need to do something that you know let's shut down restaurants that that, that'll fix it or that'll band-aid it or whatever but i I didn't think that uh, outbreaks are really happening in restaurants because we were hearing that everyone's doing such a great job uh, with the safety to make sure that they're staying open. I don't know. Is it just me? Am I just out to lunch or what? Wish you were at my place, but um, yeah. <laughs> um, from what I've seen, there has been like uh, Tofino had a couple of, of bad scares. I think 1999 got pretty canned on a few things and they just shut down for a while. Um, there right. has been like there, there was a point I remember like maybe three months ago or so where almost like four or five restaurants in town, like where there was a case, we're closing down. But like that's the same if like you work in the government building or if you yeah. work at a retail store, thrifties, like, yeah, or whatever, exactly. Yeah. Like, but they're not shutting down thrifties; they're letting everyone just go piss in the corner there. Like, yeah. who cares, right? Yeah, yeah. I, there isn't your to answer your question. There, I don't, I haven't heard of there being outbreaks. Yeah, right. So, I, I think just like anything, just like you said, whether it be thrifties or a government building, I mean, people are people are walking in. I I think I think it's anywhere at that point, you know. Mm-hmm. And, I love I, I love going to the beer store. I'm glad that's an essential service. Um, but yeah. reality is is that it's got just as much probability, if not more, in my opinion, uh, than a restaurant. Because restaurants, ninety mm. percent of us are adhering to the, all the strict guidelines. I, I, I've never I've never gone into a, a liquor store and no one's done any contact tracing for me in there. You know, nobody. You know, like right? Yeah, and, and like you're not separated no. and this and that. No. I mean, it's, you're left up to your devices yeah. at that point. Unlike restaurants, where we're all doing the best we can to to follow every rule. So, I mean, it's when they allow like the parties to happen, and it's what they I've heard more of is the family gatherings cause the mm-hmm. outbreaks, yeah. and sometimes the schools. Yep. So, like yep. you don't see masks at the school. Like I have a I have a school bus driver in my complex. I live in like, I live in that little building behind St. Anne's Academy there. So it's like, we all have our like little separate entrances to walk out of. And one of my neighbors is a uh, school bus driver. I'm like, you wear a mask? He's like, yeah, but the kids like, no, 
like okay yeah um and what then you see like there we're, we're basically we're basically at the uh, mercy of the information that we're given like really yeah. like how do we find the information that we're told on the internet that like there's a lineup at costco when everything's closed and we're told that like there is people eating at the white spots on all the ferries and that's like unless someone we know is there that's all hearsay mm-hmm. you know what i mean like mm-hmm. what do who do we believe and what do we believe is going on and we can get mad at this and that and this and that but the only facts we know is that Costco's still open to go walk inside and stand around and I'm shut down. <laughs> <laughs> Very well said. You know said. what I mean? So Very like we well just said. I think I I saw um a funny a funny meme uh from someone in Ontario cuz I'm I'm from Ontario mm-hmm. and I still follow some of my old high school people cuz you know that's what Facebook's for, right? Yeah. And he had one and it was and I usually don't like like a lot of the stuff this one person posts but he posts this picture of uh Doug, uh, Doug Ford. It's Doug Ford now, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yep. and it showed Doug Ford in like those Formula One racing shirt, like jackets with all the with all the sponsors on it. It's yeah. like this. This lockdown's brought to you by it says Costco right here. It's a 7-Eleven <laughs> and like all the different all the different sponsors is like they're open and nice. like 7-Eleven doesn't give a fuck if you do anything. And they're no. like, you know what I mean? Like they probably wouldn't stop you from wearing a mask. If no. You had no one on. No, it's, it's recommended. It's recommended at that point. You're right. Yeah. Just like just like stop recommending things and just do something. That that I agree. I, there needs to be, unfortunately, yeah. even if it affects our industry, there needs to be a little bit more firm action being taken. Otherwise, yeah. this shit's going to drag out for another year. Yeah. Well, it's just like nobody wants to upset anybody, right? No. We've just been half-assing this yeah. since the very beginning. But and like, then we're like, oh, why are we still into this thing? Well, f- yeah. okay, yeah. My uh, my GM is pretty awesome, and he listens, and he he's he's involved. My GM at the hotel here, mm-hmm. and he's always like a really good uh, uh, help help for like putting things into perspective. So yeah. I could relate. My boss is fantastic as well too. Even if behind the curtain everybody's got their own level of panic going on, they've got their finger on the pulse. Uh, whenever there's a public address, in general, they're right on top of mm-hmm. it, and they're doing all mm-hmm. the best they can to to make everybody feel loved and cared for during all of it you know and you want to be angry about these things and at this point it's like you just can't be and you kind of have to we're not yeah. in a like we're not an essential service unfortunately yeah. we're not we're not provide yeah. like we're a total especially my restaurant like like primastrada is probably a better essential essential thing to most people because of but like for me it's like we're kind of it's luxuries know, like we're a luxury all the yeah. time and we, we get those people in and we get those comments so um, I don't want like I want to be something more to the, the, the town than just like a luxury item. Yeah. I want to be providing to people and like the whole team here has come to that. Like we want to be giving back if we can. Yeah. Um, we're just we're all spun. At this yeah. Point. Like, of course. Trying to like figure out how to like, you know, we luck out here because, you know, we have an ownership that has really cared for us and taking care of us on these things. But still, we want to do right by them. And make yeah, of sure course. That they're they're investing in us in the right way and making sure that we can give back to them on that front. So, mm-hmm. yeah. well, that's a beautiful thing to say, and I'm sure they'd love hearing that from you. Um, yeah, it's it's good it's good if you work for a place that that gets it and tries to be supportive because yeah, as again, not to reference him too much, but like Dan said, we've in the industry we've spent the last year pivoting in the spot to the point where we're just doing circles. So <laughs> you're right, trying yeah. to want to give back that place that supported you in the past year. I, I very much uh, I empathize. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> slightly different direction, but in the same vein, I'm curious. Sorry, Dorem, I looked like you were going to say something. I cut you off. 
I, well, I was I was going to pivot our uh, our yeah. topic, which uh, I, I will let you drive. Well, in. pivoting so hip right now. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I hate the fucking word so much. Uh, it's, everything's a pivot. But um, have you seen some fun and in- innovative things, whether it be local, whether it be uh, culinary or not, in the last year that have have been super interesting and exciting to you? Um, I, I mentioned earlier that I know that Sean Brock recently launched a uh, basically a, a, an Airbnb for cooks where, you know, everybody's vetted under his roof, essentially. And if you have if you're short that night, you can go onto this service and basically call up Billy and he'll be your reserve dishwasher and that kind of stuff. So that one I found was really fascinating. Um, what about you? Have you heard anything that's made you pop a little bit like like COVID, COVID things? Yeah, the, the, to use the dreaded word, uh, the, the pivots that you may have seen in the past year. We did, we did a grocery service for our staff. Um, oh, so beautiful. staff could be like, you know, if you don't, like when we first closed, I was like, okay, just here's my email, here's my message in my text. Uh, the r- hotel set up kind of like a, a system so that, uh, and I set up a system on my computer that everyone could like put a grocery order in. And if we had wow. it, if we didn't have it, then I could actually get it in so I could support other companies. Okay, I'll, if you want scallops, I'll get some scallops in. And then I can do something else with scallops later. Um, or if I have extra fish. Or I have this and this and this. So um, we started doing that grocery service and charging staff only cost of the product. Brilliant. Which is maybe kind of a secret kind of thing not to say too much about. No, no, because, no of course. But like we're buying all wholesale. So it's like, well, we want to buy a chicken and we want to buy some oysters. And I need ketchup or i need this I'm like great awesome like this is how much it costs full transparent you're not paying anything else and you can do that there's no tip involved i mean don't have to go to a grocery store yeah i would set up a thing in the lobby and i would bring them boxes of their stuff and they would put all their bags and they'd go and that was a big one for us oh that's beautiful um, man that's lovely yeah you know that's pretty awesome because you were you were saying like you know the things that you do for your community you know during this whole time but like you know one one big thing that maybe a lot of people aren't realizing is that you know the big reason why a lot of restaurants are um trying to do as much as possible is to give people you know their staff their hours mm-hmm. you know keep them employed that, that way they don't need to go and serve or or, or, or whatever they, like, it is when we close we're all on serve but like you're right like we needed to provide like things are expensive in town staff yeah. aren't working yeah so there was a there was many times where it was like you you asked for this well I only gave, I gave you this don't worry about paying for that so mm-hmm. I remember like there's a lot of people who just can't afford things so it's just like we we were okay the kitchen was okay we were doing well our numbers were in line so the staff got helped out a little bit here and there then that's fine mm-hmm. um, we're not giving away free product all the time but you know we're helping people in need we can record it but um we weren't yeah i mean they had to pay their bills too right yeah like you know they have to pay their rent yeah. and uh yeah, yeah. And we're not throwing pi- paper towel rolls out in the middle of a crowd you know so <laughs> <laughs> nice. yeah oh yeah, wow yeah i mean i mean if you're not taking care of those people the ultimate truth is is you're you're both you're being a good person but i don't think it's unfair to say you're also investing in those people too mm-hmm. so that when things do open up a little bit or if you can hire one other person back you have people who are loyal to you they, they can say hey this this place helped me out yeah I'm, I'm not i'm not going back to to nothing i've got i've got somewhere that i i can rely on we were like we went into staff mode almost like we had to keep the managers and the managers had to kind of like do their thing but the staff needed something we did that and I, we've had that mentality here for a very long time and i know a lot of places do the same thing where we take care of staff and staff have to also reciprocate that they can't take advantage of that situation 
Um, we've been very lenient with a lot of staff who have to deal with COVID things and other things that have right. happened to them during COVID and whatnot. Um, the one thing I always tell my staff is, and they seem to res- they seem to take it pretty well, is like I'm like I'm gonna expect a whole lot of you, and I'm not gonna be nice about it. But whenever you need anything, mm-hmm. I'm gonna give it to you. Like you're gonna get it. Like I will try every which way to fight for that and give it to you, whether it's money. Like I was starting like a, a backup cash fund during the shutdown. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if you just need, just come and ask. Like I'll just it's fine. Don't worry about it. Oh man, that's um, beautiful. But, that's really lovely. But like, but but also like, and then a lot of them were like not asking for it. I'm like, do yeah. you need this? Right? No, I'm fine. A lot of them are, are good and a lot like, but I'm also like, when you're working, I'm probably gonna get mad at you in a way you don't like it sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'll respect you and talk to you about it later. And then out, and I'm gonna make you work a little bit longer than maybe you're used to. But I'll make sure you get sorted and pay. I'll make sure that you get treated properly. If you need an extra day to recover, that's fine. You get that. Um, but also, like I'm expecting a lot. And if you can't pick pick that up, then you don't need to be, you don't need to be here. Decide now. But you will always get helped out. I think we put staff in the hotel a couple of times um as like because whatever situation they were in whether it was covid or whatever like we had to get them out of a situation we just stuck them in the hotel to sleep oh we had a we had a weird situation once where like a guy came in all messed up he to the hotel said that he this is like right at the beginning of like the opening of last year and he's like oh i have like i had covid and i was cured and my plasma is being used to find the cure and we, had, we were like in the midst of just starting the protocols and our manager was like, I don't know what the fuck to do. I don't know like where to go. And we're just like, stick them all in the rooms upstairs. Tell no one to go home. I called my wife and I was like, go in the bedroom and I have to work tomorrow and don't come near me. Yeah. Like, Lock you don't the fucking know. doors. <laughs> it's, it's all fear culture. And you don't know yeah. what to do. Completely. But at this point, you're like, just if we have the ability and we can use it, like we'll all rally to help everyone and do so. Like, it's I don't know about a lot of the other stories. I've literally had my head down here for the past of course. year and a half trying to, and I haven't heard too many stories. Mike and Lee from the Drake have always been uh family focused in their business. Yeah. I know for a fact that they were like doing the same thing we were doing to mm. a certain extent, make sure staff had food. They would make sure the staff had the things they need. They would make sure that if, if staff were in trouble, they would always do that. But they've always been Right. Um, they are they are like a mom and dad to most most of their staff, including to me. I I, I had to stop calling him calling him the mom and dad because Rab is getting mad because he's <laughs> like their 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 adopted son uh, through like the, all of the years. So now I'm now I call him Uncle Mike, basically. Hey everybody! If you are loving this, please right now go to Patreon.com. That's P A T R E O N dot com forward slash in the weeds podcast and please consider becoming a monthly supporter a little bit goes a very long way back to the program you 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 touched on it earlier uh, i'm curious your take on it um this might be a can of worms not covid related how has your transition as a chef been to handling uh, a new age group and a new generation of cooks um, I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying about having that mature conversation uh, and saying, you know what? Someday dad's going to yell at you. 
and you're going to have to be okay with that. But that only that only goes so far, I think, that, that eventually, you know, you have to censor the shit out of yourself. And I'm curious how with your upbringing in, in restaurants and kitchens, how that how, how you've adapted to that new way of handling people. I think I've been through all of the different scenarios and working mm-hmm. in a kitchen like that. Um, I've had hard kitchens like Langdon Hall, where they expect a lot of you, but like they're not. Like they're gonna rip you in the in the walk-in, but they're not gonna treat you like garbage. They're just gonna mm-hmm. expect that of you, and they're gonna give you, they're gonna give you shit for not being an adult. Mm-hmm. And it might be a little bit. And I grew like we grew up in the '90s. Like got spanked, didn't ask questions. Like now, there's no like there's no snowflake culture. But like the thing is, is that people realize you need to be. There's better ways of handling situations. Right. I've been. I've had pans thrown at me. I've had. I've always told them about the funny story of this one little restaurant I worked at who was. He was a tough Italian guy. He made some of the best food I ever worked. Like I've worked with him along my entire career and he would get mad. And one day he threw a water bottle. It wasn't at me, but he threw a water bottle to be pissed because it was so small in that kitchen. It bounced off the back dishwasher and then my refrigerator door was open. And it bounced into my refrigerator. <laughs> That's how much force he, he, he threw it at. Um, so I've been through all, like, I've seen it all. And like, I've, I've understood the situations that, uh, ins and outs of, of, there's never really, like, you don't really ever get the manual to handle a situation. No. Nowadays you have to understand these kids are smart, especially Gen Z's. They're smart. Mm-hmm. They are hardworking. They ask the right questions. They want to know, they want to learn, but they're, they also want to make, they want to make it for themselves but they're smarter into the fact that they can do it faster than you can because there's actually way more right. things available to them that way. Um, you get a lot of people, you get a lot of the, and we get a lot of like the, those people who like read all the books and understand this and they don't live the Bourdain lifestyle. You read all the books and you understand this but to actually sit there and learn from a chef that you're getting paid to learn from is the biggest thing. Right. And you, but also turning me turning around and going, what the fuck? Why are you fucking this up? Why can't you do this? Mm-hmm. Is not really the situation at hand. People are all different. I'm going to have two guys that are going to, or two chefs that are going to walk in, guys or girls, and they're going to sit down. They're going to swing. They're going to be heavy swingers. And they're going to f- trample over everybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have some people that aren't. And it's up to them to figure this out or not. And at that point, I can't sit there and expect everyone to be on the same level i have to expect them all to be at their own level and they will weed themselves out in the end but also you can't give them the farm you treat them and give them all the time they need in order to grow and be that person and it's up to them i was in that situation i was young i thought i was cool i thought i knew my shit and i thought i could say all these things and i got quickly brought down by people that were younger than me, people that were older than me, chefs that just like, who the fuck are you? Like, I'm never going to teach you anything. You know shit. You don't know anything. And <laughs> it, everyone everyone um, grows up in their own way. Everyone yeah. educates themselves in their own way. And some people do it faster than others. I, I or you or whoever it is it gets those people at that time of their lives. So I could lose three or four of my staff right now. I've, I've lost lots of stuff and they could go on to be a thousand times better than there's just a different time in their lives. Yeah. They're different. And, <clears throat> yeah. And I was at a different time in my life. And, right. Yeah. But now it is very, to answer your question, like, yeah, you definitely need to make sure that like professionalism is 
the word to use to make sure that you're expressing yourself in a professional way at all times. Like, we all want to be professionals, bartenders, um, cooks. We all like this is a profession we are in, but there's a level of professionalism you need to conduct yourself into. That is the number one thing people need to understand is there's no more that like that that dick swinging party. There is, but like you still have to be like a pro yeah. professional. And I actually saw another post about it. Uh, it was a I think it was a Marco Piero White quote, and it involves humility. Wow, from understanding Marco that White. like I think it was like it says something like I didn't think he knew the word. <laughs> well, I think what he said was like like um, to be confident, you could be like a celebrity but in order to have humility you could be great to understand nice. that okay like you could you could have all i could have all the glory and all the fame and all the spotlight on you and you could just be out there swinging as much as you can but to actually be successful and to have you know monetary success and health success and the the, the success of your team being on your side um, and being wanting to work with you for years upon years and dedicating themselves to you, humility is a big thing to understand that. I remember a couple of years ago reading a quote, and I, I swear it was somebody like Rene Redzepi, and it had something to do very similar to that about they had turned the corner with a new generation and they had turned a corner with new industry people where they realized that there there was a different, not everybody fit through the same die of the meat grinder and essentially they had burnt so many of their bridges growing up that mm -hmm. they had huge success but they couldn't share it with a lot of people because they'd done it in such a harsh way coming up to that point so if that kind of relates to what you're saying it mm -hmm. at least makes me think about that that we're we're in a new situation where you know you professionalism and being a, a good human being goes a long way. And if you can achieve success in the same vein of that, like that's the, I, I think that's way more beautiful than being a pan throwing hard ass your entire career. And then, yeah. Well, you look in, you look at the evolution of it. Like my pan throwing hard ass tell, told me a story. Right. When he worked for David Lee at Notobene in Toronto mm. and he had to make palmanas or palmaxime or palmanas like the little shaved potatoes that you like. And they had to fry them to order. This is like old school cooking before. It's like you can batch these and you can just have it already. Like you had to like to order. You had to lay your potatoes out in a rosette and fry them in a, like a flat top in every pan you were doing. And he couldn't keep up. And long story short, he was turned around and they kicked him in the balls. <laughs> what? Fuck. Kicked him in the balls. Yeah, and he just stood like, there and too. took it and went like, and then turned around and started making the palmanas again. Like, fuck you. There's the extremes in that. Like, there's the aggressions. There's the there's the guys in um, yeah. Kitchen Confidential that pick up the pan with their bare hands and like, I'm better than you. Those guys were just trying to make, like, those guys were just working to make their dollars. Like, they they had to, they they could do that and they could only work in that profession. So they found the best way to do it. But now it's like there are people who want this in the profession, but it is hard work and it's going to come. It's going to weed out a lot of people very quickly. You're going to, and that's the problem now. It's like the, like the hard work is not as glamorous as they all thought it was with the, the late 90s to mid 2000s Food Network yeah. sort of gave us. It's not <laughs> glamorous. You get to go on TV, but then you still have to go in the back. 
and be drunk and try to cook that fish. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's I've had the same conversation before. <laughs> yeah. The mid nineties food network. Yeah. They, they did wonderful things for our industry and also some, some not so wonderful things. <laughs> so a cool story about that is, is that I got to work when I was in culinary school at Niagara college, mm. we got to do the food network tent at the Toronto food show. Oh, and I met one of the best chefs I've, ever met in my entire life who I never worked for because I was a stupid kid and I, I was no balls and <laughs> his name is Jason Bagener uh, I hope I said his name right so Jason Bagener is the head chef of Langdon Hall right now he's okay. made Langdon Hall something it hasn't been in a very very long time hmm. he's been there for almost 10 years now I think um, but he came in he was working for Oliver Bonaccini group he was working at um, Auberge de Pommier I believe it's Auberge de Pommier and he walked in to do a demo at this food network tent and we're all shithead cooks in, in culinary school and he walked in with seven white truffles and 10 black truffles fresh and made soup Jesus. in a demo and he walked in huh. he walked in poised wow stern not arrogant clean shaven with his clean chef jacket he showed us all these things but he expected all of us to listen properly and then he walked out there and made this beautiful mushroom soup and I was floored. I'm like, this guy is the best chef in Canada. Like, obviously, there's <laughs> there's so many great chefs in Canada right now. But, like, he was just, like, amazing to watch. And I still kick myself for not trying to go and work for him when I was younger. So, I guess, yeah, maybe we'll let, let's change change things up a little bit. I uh, I was creeping your uh, your Instagram. And uh, one thing I, I that really stood out is... Uh, your wide uh, selection of, of beers you got on there. The, definitely a lot of stuff that I didn't even recognize and a lot of stuff that I absolutely love. Okay, what's your, Yeah, that was going to be my question. What are you drinking here? You're drinking Six Days in Dade. What is that? I've never seen that one before either. I have a weird thing about um, getting things I can't have and having mm. things to share with people that I can't do so. And I was kind of hoping we were going to get together and do this and I would have brought out like a few oh. more. But then when I realized we weren't going to, we were doing this as a recording, I ended up just bringing a few but i have been waiting to have this because uh anyway this is a bellwoods beer oh bellwoods lovely we've talked about them a bunch of times on the podcast from toronto so hmm. if this is the thing you might not know about me but i think they're the best brewery in canada besides besides that was going to be besides, one of my questions don't tell jordan but they're okay. <laughs> i have it i have a weird affinity for burdock and bellwoods out of toronto um yeah i just i keep like i've been hard pressed to find a bad beer from them and you know we're awesome. lucky to, we're lucky enough to get like steel and elk out here and all these new breweries open up like uh slow hand and studio and house of funk um i have a thing where like i'll i'll order beer online to my parents house and i'll get my mother to send it out for me and pay her for the shipping <laughs> it's like a weird oh, like wait so it's like awesome. a weird waiting Smart. in line for me but like i get all the things yeah, i yeah. want and i spend i mean you could wait for it to come here and you could spend probably what the shipping is going to cost you. But like right. I got into trading when I was, when I moved to Victoria, I got into trading. And so going back into like <laughs> the beer world, when I first started, I lived at Dundas and Templeton in 2013. And what right. opened in that neighborhood in 2013 was parallel 49. Mm-hmm. And I had someone come and meet me at my house and he said, do you know where you live? I'm like, no, I, well, I live in the middle of fucking nowhere because there was nothing there at the time. <laughs> at I live the in a time, shithole. Right. Like, I, I hate it. I have to take a fucking 45-minute <laughs> bus ride to the job I work 17 hours a day at that I'm like stressed. Like, well, come here with me. I'm like, 
shows me tells me about growlers i'm like cool i'm like wait a minute there's a brewery right next door to that brewery and there's a brewery right next door to that brewery and i was like yeah and eventually throughout the next three years there was like 10 breweries i could walk a three block right like like length with my dog and go to 10 breweries and come home on a sunday and my wife's like why are you so drunk i'm like uh, I went to all these places and they let me Why aren't you so drunk? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. You don't know me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a dog's fault. Yeah. So my, and then after that, it was like, well, my days off turned into going to high point. It was now high points and going to see what the new bre- beers were like and starting to get an understanding of like, cause I was huge into wine when I was in culinary schools. I was in Niagara on the lake and it was wineries everywhere. And then it grew into scotch and it grew into bourbon and like all these awesome things about these industries that provide you like so much variety and then you find the things you like and beer was always like well i had some gravel island mixer packs and like i kind of didn't it wasn't a thing for a while until you started really understanding the ins and outs of these things so i got into understanding about like cantium and lambic and uh, i met someone in vancouver mark galvani who is a big cider guy who was working at a steamworks liquor store and he ended up working for Bells and Whistles as one of their big guys. And he really got every time I go to Steamworks, he sort of tell me more and more about things. And he told me about this group on Facebook that's quote unquote Facebook, what you're not supposed to know about is that you could eventually this doesn't exist anymore. You could do trades across Canada and there's a big trading and there's still like it's huge in the States. And oh, that's so cool. And you can basically go on it and you can put I'm in search of this. So ISO this. And you could put for trade this. So you have to have something that is coveted for people to want. So we were lucky enough out here at the times that we were getting Cantium in in waves that we could actually use it for trading S things. But at this point, we were already like ways away from what Ontario was. So like I couldn't even trade a Cantium goose. I had to have the variants in order to trade for anything. Oh, that's no one so would buy cool. that. Like, I don't want that. And I've already had that. I'll take you have to. It's like a big vigneron or saint lamb or better like you have to have that and i was awesome. like well i want i want hill farmstead and i want to try bellwoods and at the time like bellwoods and burdock were the big ones um and i hadn't been home for a while so i was able to get some bellwoods out here i was able to get some i was able to get some hill farmstead i was able to get some like the american ones out that way and that's when the haze craze was starting mm. it hadn't started here yet um ah, okay. dad dad juice had not come out yet no one knew what haze <laughs> no one knew what haze was God, I love the dad juice. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Too bad. The, yeah. Anyway, so. Um, <laughs> so I was doing that a lot. And then now with fast forward, like I was able to get all these cool things and try them and have people over to have bottle shares and whatnot. I ended up meeting someone named Julie Nichols, who basically started Celebrator Magazine which is the very first beer publication magazine in the United States who moved here. The name sounds really familiar, but I don't, I, I've never heard you of might Celebrator have met magazine. Her, yeah. Celebrator is turned 32 years ago. The okay. original copy is in the Smithsonian. And wow. when she wow. came up, so how I met her was long story short, I was sitting at the Drake on a busy night. One of the Drake guys is like, Hey Brian, you like trading beer, right? I'm like, yeah. It's like, well, someone wants to trade a whole bunch of Pliny the Elder for some Canadian beers. I'm like, show me. So got to meet her and actually this, like her and her husband, Lee, have actually become my family out here now. Like we are so close that I will spend all this time talking with her and him and we'll go and have like dinner with them. Like not so much now, but we like we've become 
best is like brothers and sisters, second cousins, like that that like close knit family that you can rely on, that you can that you can talk to and confide in. Awesome. And she's but she literally knows every single person in the world beer industry. <laughs> wow. She has been there from Damn, day wow. one in the eighties, from Sierra Nevada to Russian River to Rare Barrel. All those beers, wow. Beachwood, all those beers you're seeing on the shelves, she has been at the bottom up with all of them. She's like, oh, we were, we were walking on the beach one day, and we came across this brewery called Santia Darius. And these guys are really cute and really nice, but they make, they make some of the best wild ales in the whole fucking world in Southern <laughs> California. So <laughs> she was able to – she actually gave me a, a case – well, she didn't give me. like We traded. I, got a, I was able to have a case of Pliny the Elder at my wedding. Wow. <laughs> like that was like wow. great. Wow. So me and her talk about all like getting all these beers. And so basically have like, I studied it and I tried to understand the industry, but I actually didn't know even about the beer itself and shelf stable and uh, uh, stale dating and all that stuff until I started working for beer thirst. I was just so young. I just like got into it. I'm like, this is great. 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 (laughs) And then all of a sudden it's like, well, beer like hops only last like, three months if they're in a fridge if they're lucky mm-hmm. like stouts can last but like how much will they last and so getting to know that through the beer industry was great but it's it's not like it's not glamorous either everyone's like oh i'm gonna be a beer this is the greatest like, this is my dream job I'm like oh yeah what yeah. happens when you can't sell all like yeah. the dream job for beer is steam whistle how so oh man you get a free They've... fucking jeep to ride in you walk into oh, a, really? you walk in Everyone's going to buy your product because no one gives a fuck. And all yeah, you do exactly. is walk in and go, oh, that I watched the guy do it because I met him. He was one of the, the steam whistle rep at the time was was a Persephone rep that I got to meet at the Drake. And then he went on the steam whistle and he's like, he's giving people free hotel rooms and free rides and free party oh, tickets. Yeah. But he okay. walked yeah. he walked into a sale that I was doing. He's like, hey, just by the way, um, you have about four cases on the shelf that are only are over six months. I just took them off. Move them to the side. Call Tina World. They'll pick them up tomorrow, and you'll get free. You'll get free new stuff. So they're setting a bar for everybody wow. else, oh, and I'm sitting there like, "Can you please buy one case of this Maui beer from fucking like yeah. Maui Brewing? Like that's really great." And he's like, "Well, yeah, I don't know. Like you just did that." And I'm like, oh, fuck. "But that's the dream job. Like it's not glamorous." <laughs> well, can you give me a it's hotel room somewhere? All these breweries. <laughs> like I'm not even offering like the support to even like pull the old no. crap off the shelves. I'm like, I need you to sell that. Like you took that. I need you to sell that. Yeah. But you look at restaurant, like small business restaurants, they're just trying to get by. And everyone thinks breweries is like, oh, well, they can just give you free beer for all this. Like, no, like it costs no. these guys so much money. Beer yeah. takes forever to fucking make and it can screw mm-hmm. up within seconds. Wine's the same, but like there's way more margins attached to it because there's way more glam attached to it. Beer is mm-hmm. always just going to be beer. And no, yeah. one, no one gets that. Like everyone just thinks that they have the Molson like freebies to give out t-shirts and like give us some free merch it's like i have a whistleboy t-shirt on right now you know how much this costs whistleboy to make like oh yeah, totally totally i i love beer merch it's my number one thing like i have a whole uh, rack up there with all sorts of beer hats and stuff i love it and i always want to support them but i don't look for freebies because that i, I know what it costs yeah. to make merch through my own company it's an incredibly expensive yeah and if you're small and, business, and when the yeah. When the bubble burst and when everybody, like every bit of craft brewing just exploded, mm-hmm. that's when everybody wanted to be a part of it. I mean, I always I always 
slightly lament that I didn't get into it earlier on in my life. I was just a uh, like first time caller, long time listener with it. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't get involved at any point. Um, but yeah, it, it, it blew up and everybody thought it was this like cash cow, miraculous, like T-shirt cannon. Job. The T-shirt T- cannon. T-shirt cannon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, just put in a cannon and shoot. Like, give me a free T-shirt. You got probably got like a thousand in the back there. It's like, no, you don't. No, you don't understand. We do, we do but like that was money in like, like yeah. yeah. Well, everybody's equating it to going to the liquor store and getting a free caribou hat with their 12 pack you know what i mean and then that right yeah. there is like then then that equates to what what microbreweries are doing no get out of here man <laughs> like I, I think I have coors a carib- can afford to do that i have a caribou cubs hat that i think or no it was a paps cubs hat or something like that that came in one of the packs oh. and i remember being dealing with i think it was like monkey tree and i was like give me all those fucking hats and was like, okay here they didn't care <laughs> but i was like totally. i was trying to sell my product but like give me one of your free stuff you have at the liquor store yeah but the, the goal i have for like beers too is like is finding those gems so like you look at something like yeah. this look at that like yeah it had that oh you no know, no i've never even seen beachwood. that so oh, you can go to the like, machine yeah this is beachwood and like there's a bunch of places around town even like uh james bay liquor they might still have a bit of them and they're on sale but this is like one of the nicest beers i've had in a very very long time and beachwood blendery beachwood brewing has huh. been one of like the most top breweries in the in the world for years but people don't get it up really it's like well why I've should i pay why should i pay five six bucks for a can when i could pay two dollars for a lucky i'm like well because you all you're drinking like it's separating that like whole that whole this is something to enjoy as opposed to something just gonna get me plowed while i'm riding an atv you know what i mean my my favorite my favorite my favorite beach beer <laughs> is speedway stout in a tall can from uh, Speedway, twelve percent coffee, uh, tall can stout from uh, Alesmith Brewing, and I have been. Awesome. I have, there's a video out there of me shotgunning one, and <laughs> my, but like in the sun, I would love to have it. Like I, my next beer is going to be this one because you know the boys are good. Mm, yeah, but those like, guys are. Oh yeah, are solid. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, for for those of you who are listening, uh, that was a can of Cove Vefe. So mm-hmm. there we go. The new Imperial Stout with coffee and coconut from Il Sauvage. From our friends at Il Sauvage. The the good boys who are very <laughs> um very good uh clients of mine actually. Oh yeah. They they come into oh, the that's restaurant right. you know quite what? a bit. Ian Ian and Stefan, but I mean Ian because um I think he, he's a little bit more uh He's got a, a greater gift to gab. Uh, Ian can't stop talking about they both you do, and the Courtney they room. Yeah. 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 No, they, they both do. They both do. I just, I remember I've heard it from Ian dozens of times over the yeah. past couple of years. He's just like, he can't sing your praises high enough. I love those guys. So funny story about them. And they will probably kill me for saying this. I was their <laughs> nice, very I like first, em- I was their very first employee. I had a feeling. Really? I had a feeling. I, I was, I was wondering. About I was that. like, I was um, selling beer at the time and, they were opening and I was like, Hey guys, like, honestly, if you like need to help on the weekend, just pouring beer, like I'll come in and just like do whatever. And I remember coming back from Nanaimo doing the trip with my wife, doing some work up and down the Island from selling beer. I, uh, I was like, well, they're open today. It's the first day. Let's, let's at least go have a beer and try it out. She's like, okay. I walked in and they both looked at me in a panic. Like, oh, great. You're here for your shift. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, like you need any help? Like, yeah, we do. I'm like, well, I can't work today. He's like, do you want to work tomorrow? Like, yeah, we do. <laughs> so I got to like work. I got to work a couple months Christmas with them. And then they were able to like, you know, like the Christmas 
break was over. This is like November. And then mm-hmm. um, I was selling beer up until about January when I got this job. And I, I ended up taking this job because it was, you know, I was looking to get out of selling beer. Um, I have a thing where like I just can't sell people like things I'm not passionate about. And as right. much as I love all the beer that I have and love all the beer, and like, if people don't want it and people don't care about it, and if I'm just sticking stuff on shelves to stick something on a shelf and then have someone just kind of get it, it doesn't really make me happy. And no. I can't, like my father's been a salesman for his entire life. He sells steel, which is a lot different than selling beer. And he was so happy that I was getting this. This is going to be the right thing for you. I'm like, I just can't. Like, I could go and work for some other company and sell beer. I had a couple of different interviews. And I was like, I just, like, I I couldn't care less. I want to drink the beer. I want to enjoy the beer. But I just don't foresee it. I foresee myself cooking still. And that's why I went back to it. But when I went back to cooking, like, I was lucky we were with Chris, my my counterpart here for two years. Mm -hmm. And he was a big beer nerd. And we both were like, hey, we want to just we want to keep doing the local thing really well. And Ilse Vaz just like was like one of those easy places that we could just put in here. And we have an Ilse Vaz tap at all times. We have yeah, branded awesome. Courtney room and Ilse Vaz glassware. That's beautiful. And nice. we did an Ilse Vaz beer dinner, five, six courses of all their beer paired to food. Well, and- I, I and I know. I know that you'll agree with this because of your sentiment as a chef, but dude, those guys kill it. Like they, there's no corners cut. They're innovating at all times. They're always experimenting with different flavors and, and they don't, they don't, they're not, they're not pushing something out the door that might've been a mistake or might've had some flaws, you know, like they're. That's pretty amazing. So for, for those of you who are listening, our huge uh, ever growing audience out there, Il Sauvage does nothing but sours that's not pretty much no, true not, yeah that's but not they true pretty, they they deal with wild that's not true. they deal with wild so if they're gonna oh so yeah. they they do have ipas they did a west coast ipa once mm-hmm. and they deal with okay. wild so they have and they deal with a lot of kavayak and i think stefan his base his base yeast is like a kavayak foss strain Mm-hmm. So you have like the Imposter, which is like their Pilsner, but it's done with Kvayak yeast. And, like, which a is lot of one of my yeast... favorite beers ever. And it's a Pilsner. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, that's thing correct. So, but they, they were always going to, like, they always had a, they had a hazy to start, but his, but his product revolves around it still being a wild. That's why they're called Wild Island. Like they're, they're, yeah. they're involved right. in that process of like having a bit more of it, not having a standard Pilsner to have a standard Pilsner. You have the Il Sauvage culture and i think right. that's what a lot like the, it's culture it's their culture it's so everything you're getting is inoculated by the culture he's growing so the, so some some rest i think he's got a few of them and some breweries have like like parallel 49 before i like even vancouver had like 60 cultures but like right you're getting hit he's inoculating with those cultures and that is that is the uniqueness of his brewery yeah, hmm. they definitely branch okay. out from the sours. I, I'll admit, I, <clears throat> I'm still, I'm still gaining appreciation for sours. There are some that are just too tart, and I don't know if it's it's years of a, a not maybe being as nice as I could be to my body. Uh, but <laughs> I find a lot of those sours that are a little bit too tart. They they, they give me the you know a bit of acid reflux. So I can't. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate them as uh, as the flavors and mm-hmm. the the technique behind them, but. Quite honestly, Rem, like they're 
their non-sours are, in my opinion, top-notch as well, too. They recently put out a very limited run of a Hoppy Brown, I think it was. And, man, that was one of my favorite beers. It was a very small run that they did. That was so, in yeah, dedi- that Hoppy Brown was in dedicated to Tasty, who I believe is Tornado. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get crucified from Julie yeah. and Stefan. This Tasty was a person involved in the craft beer scene in California, where like the it kind of grew out of um, in the '90s. Um, that was an homage to him who died uh, a couple of years ago, I think. So, mm-hmm. but right. they're 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 involved in like the industry on a whole. And like, that's not, that's to say no one else is like, like Jordan is just as much as Graham with is just as much as like everyone's involved, but like, obviously it's like, it's a stressful time, especially trying to like, of course, create your business model the way it is. Jordan, and I have an affinity to from steel and Oak because he had a podcast and I had a podcast. We had him in our <laughs> podcast and we were actually pouring two steel and Oak dra- tap lines set here at the courtney room for a really long time until he stopped really selling beer to the island and to this day he still talks to me about like coming in over and like he stays in the hotel and funny story is i have a uh i have a thing about i like to tell people i like to tell people to take your shirt off <laughs> things would be a lot better if we were shirtless right now that's kind of like i have we went through entire like we went entire zoom chats with like Cam Armstrong and Andrew Andrew uh, Simpson and <laughs> Stefan and Ian and all of our friends like that. Where at, at the end of it, we had all been like six beers deep. We all had our shirts off because I just keep saying like I don't really can't hear any of you until our shirt was off. So Brian, who is stealing <laughs> one of the stealing oak. Funny his name is Brian, but one of the stealing oak um, other other owners. Uh, he has a th- affinity for telling people to take their shirts off too. So Brian and I just keep yelling, yelling until they take her. Yeah, he it's it's weird. And then we he's literally sent me photos of him standing in the elevator at Swans in the mirror with his shirt. off. I can usually get his shirt off if he's here in town. However, 39 years on this planet. And I'm now hearing for the first time about two people who have an affinity for telling people to get their shirts off. <laughs> We're both yeah, named Brian. Awesome. We're both yeah, named Brian. totally. Yeah, yeah this right. is weird shit. Um, <laughs> so and Jordan came here the one night and stay with Brian. I'm like, well, fuck, I'm going to get those guys. So I was able to get into their room, but this is all pre COVID. I was able to get into their room and I was able to get, as I live, as I don't know if people know where the court room is, it's right across from the Strath liquor store. So I was able to go in and I was able to get a third or 14 pack of, uh, white claws and two tall oh, cans of Smirnoff ice. And I hid the Smirnoff ice right in the pillows and just waited. Oh, and all of a sudden I got a text and they're like, you mother. <laughs> oh that's so good yeah <laughs> that's really good these are the relationships that are like important for um the industry that we're in like you don't oh, completely like, you it's not about just like supporting someone for supporting someone but these are like these are friendships these are people who care yeah. about the same things you care about and it's important it's, it's the reason i buy prima strata i love your product you have good people you hire i love all the people that are work there and like if i'm coming down from the from up island and i'm hungry i'm probably gonna stop at prima strada and cobble hill Very not because i know franz as much as i know the fact that i'm happy <laughs> and i've known aaron and i've known um yeah there's a, a lot of people in this in this world who i wouldn't have had the pleasure of meeting if it weren't for this industry i think it's the reason why 
you gave up on music at an early age and I gave up. Well, I don't know if you gave up, but you didn't take that as a career. I didn't go the art path for a career. I fell in love with the industry because of those people and because of those camaraderies that you make, those, those, you know, those friendships that last forever or that you, that, that, you know, that, that cool thing that people can move away, but you can still send somebody a text and you still get the same, uh, doing a shot in the walk-in kind of conversation with yeah. them. You know what I mean? Like, hundred yeah. percent. It's important to have, like, I mean, we're in a we're in a relationship-based industry. I mean, anyone could say that. Like, you're relationship-based for whatever retail you're selling. Like, my father, who is again, he sells steel. He's a steel broker. He comes between the person who makes the steel and then he deals with the people who cut it and put it into separate things, and he sells mm-hmm. all that to people. So he's like kind of like a middleman. But it's all about relationships. He knows people from all over the world, and he's deals with every single different relationship as possible. And whether you like someone or not, or whether you do, or whether it's someone that you have to understand how they are, you have to build a relationship in order to do your job. But also, it's about under like you you gain these lovely relationships with people who yeah. you just care about and care about. And my my wife always makes fun of me. She's just like. Our uh, our car. We have this old like nineteen uh, two thousand and one Dodge Neon, and it's it's really just done crafting the bed now. <laughs> and we had to move it twice the other day, and I had to call two different uh, tow trucks to come and help me jump it. And I had to call. <laughs> then I had to call a third one the day after come and jump it. And as I'm on the phone, I'm like talking to him. He's like, "Hey man, this is great. Like, did you just buy that new car out there?" And like we were talking about that. And I hung up the phone. He's like, "Did you make Did you make friends with the the tow truck driver?" I'm like, "Yeah, we're close now." <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah, that was Tim. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna go for a beer next week. Yeah, we're we, we understand each other. So, yeah, but also like the little bit of listening you can do to to give someone that like twenty five minutes or ten minutes or five minutes of time to understand, let them talk to you, and that's those little two things gives you so much more. It allows you to decide whether you want to continue that relationship until the other person has cut that tie. We'll we'll move. And I'll be like, yeah, hey, can I borrow your car? Someone I haven't talked to in three months. Like, yeah, man, no problem. Yeah. And well, that, that, that's reciprocal because they, they obviously know that you're the kind of person that would do the, the same thing, even if you had to call three or four tow trucks to get them there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that was a fun day. That that American Dreamer film with Peter Drinklage was being filmed in my uh, my front yard. And we got a we got. Oh, a, really? Yeah. And we got a we got a, a letter the night before saying. We had to have all of our cars moved, and that car hadn't started in like four months. And I was like, "Okay, well, I'll get a jump." <laughs> and we had put like a desiccant pack in the back because like it was starting to mold, and it's just like this is a whole bunch of shit. And finally, like, and then we have CAA, and the CAA came in to like jump us. It was like, "You got to leave that running for like ninety minutes, or it's not going to start yeah. again." Yeah, well, I left it running, day. and I started driving up the street, and I went for like a ninety-minute drive with my dog in the back, go and stop at. James Bay Liquor, and the thing wouldn't start again. So I had to call another tow truck to come and jump me there. Oh, shit. Goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> and then by that time, I was like, well, I got to put it to where it's going to be parked for the night. And I had to call another tow truck. It was just like shit after <laughs> shit after shit. And I was like, oh, fuck. So, anyway. Speaking of that uh, that movie uh, that, that was being filmed, I wasn't it um, Peter Dinklage? Uh, was it the same one that Matt Dillon's in as well, too? Yeah. Yeah, Matt Dillon, the girl Last... from what's uh, from Letterkenny's in it too. No shit. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. And so the sister. It, um, yeah, the sister. Yeah. Oh, that's right. awesome. Last um, 
what was it? I think last two or three weeks, every last last two or three Fridays, uh, Matt Dillon has been uh, in the same seat at Prima. <laughs> it's oh. really nice. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. He, wow. he came in and he, he sat at the same seat by the window. He lives yeah, in Vancouver. Dude, he lives but he's in enjoying Vancouver, your right? pie, man. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know he lived in Vancouver. I thought yeah. he was states or oh, okay. Crazy. I'm pretty sure he's got residency somewhere in Vancouver because I've done a few when I was at Hawksworth. I've done a few events where he's been there. Oh, crazy! And he's not a name huh. like he's not not just randomly like toss up name like he's all, he's always involved in it. Yeah, gentlemen, I uh, I don't know. This has been a phenomenal conversation, and you've you've covered a lot of ground, my friend. I guess one of my only pivotal <laughs> uh, questions was I'm I'm always curious when I'm talking to a chef what uh, what are your 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 three go to books if not of all time at least right now. Oh wow, no one's ever asked me that before. I'm not a huge oh. reader. Um, but we all collect books. We there do must collect. Be something I have a lot of books. Um, Devil in the Kitchen mm-hmm. is one of the greatest books written by someone, and has kept me going, like kept me entertained reading. Uh, Marco awesome. Pierwhite is very interesting. Mm-hmm. I liked Kitchen Confidential, but Marco Pierwhite talked more about the importances. And I always tell people about the uh, the one time where he's like, I he worked for Raymond Blanc. And he had already worked for Pierre Kaufman, and Pierre Kaufman came into Raymond Blanc's uh, restaurant. And Raymond Blanc said, you're cooking for Pierre. Make that dish perfect. And he does everything he can to make it perfect and puts it on the pass. And Raymond Blanc looks at it, this great dish, and squishes it with his hand down. And he goes, <laughs> fuck Pierre Kaufman. <laughs> oh, I love it. And sends oh, it Oh, that's in. so good. So that book is, but that that book talks a lot about where the industry was in a celebrity chef realm of someone who works really hard and only cares about Mm -hmm. his business. And I really held on to that. What's the one I'm reading right now that I'm using for the restaurant? Uh, Like Contra Wild Air's book. Um, uh, And then like uh, Ratio is probably your best book by um, Michael Roman. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That one's, uh, I, I haven't, read it uh, i've always i've actually i don't even own it i've mm-hmm. always been meaning to but next to the shiny beautiful pictures mm-hmm. uh i i know i know what i'm getting myself into with ratio and i know it's uh it's not a light read and i know it's challenging so i i'm ashamed to say i haven't actually read it but i've heard about it for god ratios, knows how long. And, ratios and percentages is a big thing for us here um mm-hmm. my biggest of course in covid times so those are the books that like I've really been uh, been jazzed about, and actually, the Contra Wilder book is what Chris put me onto. It's, it's a phenomenal book. Mm-hmm. But when I was by myself here at the restaurant, it was when we closed. I basically everyone left, and I stayed here and was like just kind of keeping little things going on. I got into Evan Funky and American Spalina. Pasta Remy. So past and basically, it was like I had time to learn, had time to read. So. Under, like watched a bunch of his videos and I was able to understand about pasta from the ground up a bit more. I mean, I still am learning a lot, but um, mm-hmm. I was able to teach myself how to actually roll Spolio with like the 44 inch mozzarella. And I actually have one right here. Oh, beautiful. That oh, gen- so there's cool. a gentleman, a little plug. There's a gentleman in Vancouver who used to be the head chef of Savio Belope who actually makes all these pasta tools called Dan Ewart. And if you're ever looking for an awesome pasta tool customized for yourself, he is the man to make it for you. And cool. to understand how to make the dough properly and to store the dough, uh, uh, American Spolino is great. Um, and then it just sort of opened my mind to like a whole bunch of the other like 
traditional techniques and all the other techniques that are out there. So that book is really great. Um, and there's a lot of people in town here who have bought Dan's products, like uh, Quinn and Nadia from uh, Squamal Vermouth. Right. Okay. Gotcha. So, gotcha. Like, so here we're we're not. We, we, we sort of weirdly coined ourselves as a weird fried chicken and pasta restaurant now because that's apparently all we sell <laughs> these days. But at least when you're buying it from us, we're, we're, we're trying to stay true to like a lot of like you're getting a, a quality handmade product. And, yeah. Um, we really want to provide that to a lot of people and have fun while we're doing it. As Brent, um, Brent Rowland from uh, Avril Creek would say, it's sort of appeasing our creative anxiety for uh, living our lives, living our awesome. professional lives. Fried chicken and pasta or not, your food chef is absolutely stunning. Um, I still uh, think with great fondness and uh, about how well you took care of me and my wife when we came in for her Thank birthday and much. stuff. And that was when you were uh, you were you were playing with pasta. Mm-hmm. I remember that, and uh, it was yeah, it was, it was just stunning food. Every time I see your food, and yeah. I hear nothing but the best things. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, I can't wait to try it out, actually. Um, I'm actually, uh, my wife and I were talking about what we should uh, order uh, for my upcoming birthday. Oh, yeah. And I was taking a look at your menu and awesome. Like, I love what you guys have been doing. We we so beautiful. Like I said, we grew it for when we closed. We actually ended up putting four pastas on the menu. But you can actually do a date night for two, which includes wine, and have two to three pastas plus um we actually brought in some beautiful italian burrata and have a more of like nice. an italian pasta-esque kind of date night as takeout as well or you come on the patio and have a couple of different pastas and a few other things as well right yeah that yeah, um, sounds amazing. that's awesome yeah no i saw some of your pictures you, were, you had on online there <clears throat> uh with you messing around with your with pasta and uh, i mean it's funny because franz and i were talking about uh that's kind of like my my thing right now is i'm playing around with with pasta dishes yeah. and i was like after looking at your stuff i was like cool it's like the equivalent of, the equivalent of me making katie like it's just like <laughs> it's so like out of my league but uh i don't know what's 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 your like your go-to at home easy make pasta dish that you think maybe like a peasant like me might be able to make we we, we buy the shells the little shells my wife would say um she does katie a little bit of milk we buy the borzan with the herbs Pepper, and garlic. Yeah. No, herbs and garlic. The herb and garlic one, right? Yeah. 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 So we do that. And nice. that's our like number one. But like if we're like shells, a little bit of tomato sauce, a little bit and good cheese is usually our, our go-to. Um, in the heart of like vegetable season, something with more green and herbs. But like usually the shells is like the winner for us. Unfortunately, yeah, like... Know. That's like maybe once a month because we are not home. <laughs> right. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I was like back. We actually like we have like a nice like wooden table that we can produce on. And she she makes bread. So she usually has a sourdough going. But like I just haven't been around. But I was doing a lot more like rolling and uh, hand shaping of stuff. So butter and lemon and chili is usually the go to for me for most of my cooking. And that's what I tell yeah. most of the, the staff here, too. It's like, And it's basically what, like, Chef Hawksworth and, and Christian and all of them were telling me. It's like those two or three ingredients get people's, like, 
salivation going gets people wanting to eat more, but it's still fresh and light. And there's a little bit of heat, but not like not it's not like like burn your mouth off. So that would just get you eating more and more and more, drinking more and more and more. But like that is light. Like you can sit at home, you can watch a movie, have a nice light pasta, nice little bit of butter, a little bit of lemon. Like fresh lemon is super underrated. And mm-hmm. I, ne- I, and I never really got that. Like I worked at um, Coast in Vancouver, and my boss was always like, people want to come to the to the west coast and have fish right out of the ocean right off the grill and with a little bit of lemon and i was like okay i get it but like you're not doing that here just buying frozen fish and just like burning the fuck out of it but it's a lost kind of understanding about how much a little fresh lemon can go somewhere one of my fondest memories that makes me think of that was when i was younger um and uh was fishing in alberta with uh with Andrew and uh, his dad, and we were catching pike straight out of the the Lesser Slave Lake, and we ended up frying up a pike, basically poaching it in a whole pound of butter, and it was butter, salt, and fresh lemon on it. And mm-hmm. I, to this day, it's one of those things that you know, like you have those little food experiences throughout your career. Where, I mean, that was over a campfire. I I, I still I'll never forget just that and a, ch- a chunk of bread. You know, like mm-hmm. that simple. But it's also like a lot of like understanding of your flavor and of understanding mm-hmm. of your product. A perfectly cooked fish, nice piece of lemon. You're not just putting it on a barbecue and, and letting it overcook. Yeah. <laughs> like people don't understand that. And yeah. Well, gentlemen, you have been such a treat. I I appreciate you uh, very much, and I wish we could have been there in person sharing those beers with you because uh, I I you've been on my list for a very long time, Thank and you. I, honestly, I genuinely kept hoping that things would open up. Uh, I know Remy and I keep talking about our big plans to start meeting people in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm finally, we got a chance to talk, albeit through the internets. But also <laughs> stay safe, stay home and let's get through this so that we can uh, all get together in larger quantities and without a mask on in the near future. Well said, chef. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Brian. it was <laughs> wonderful talking to you, man. Yeah, Thank was, you for making yeah. time for us. Seriously. Thank you for inviting me. It was awesome. awesome. Cheers, guys. Thanks for joining us this week. It's so fun for us to share these stories with you. Thanks again to Riot Brewing for keeping us hydrated. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at in underscore the underscore weeds podcast.